stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's senior strategist, Kevin Cook, to discuss our one of our favorite topics, the 13F filings. We haven't talked about this in a while. It's been at least a year, I think. We kind of got like, meh, depressed about it or something. Right. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> and now this year, we've decided to take another look because some interesting things were happening in the first quarter. And it's time to talk about it. So the 13F forms have to be filed by mainly the big money managers 15, no, 45 days after the end of the quarter, right? That's their deadline? Yes. Okay. So that would have been like May 15th right. of this year. So we've been getting a whole bunch of them in through May 15th, and now we can see what they were doing. So one of the first big announcements, I feel, was that Berkshire Hathaway bought shares of Amazon during the first quarter. Warren Buffett announced that a little bit earlier than their actual filing because they were having the annual meeting, and I guess he felt like, I need to fully disclose everything. So he announced it. He didn't tell us which of the lieutenants had bought it, because right. it was not him. Right. Warren Buffett, the tech investor, didn't buy it? <laughs> yeah, no. He has lamented in the past, though, that he wishes he had bought Amazon a while ago. But he didn't seem to want to talk about this purchase at the annual meeting. He did get some questions. They didn't bring the lieutenants there to answer any questions about why they bought it. He had to kind of justify it to some of the shareholders who were asking about it and saying like, oh, of course, both of them are value investors and, you know, they haven't changed their philosophy. But he didn't really go into how Amazon is a value necessarily by normal value metrics, at least. Um, so we still don't know. We're kind of still in the dark about like why they bought it. And did, did, did he get kind of annoyed that that was the focus? Yes. Because of course the re- reporters were all over that. Yes. Or, or was it shareholders asking? Shareholders were asking yeah. at the meeting. Okay. Um, which he knew would happen. That's why yeah. he disclosed it. But yeah, he was still basically annoyed by anything having to do with Amazon. Right. So <laughs> it's just kind of sitting out there now. We did find out from the 13F that it was nearly a billion dollar purchase. So that sounds big, but that's not that big for Berkshire. So fine, they're in it now. We'll see if they're going to add to that position. They have a big position in Apple already. That's one of their largest positions. So yeah. this just adds on to the fangs. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you kind of opened with, like, we haven't talked about this in a while. Yeah. It's, it's not as exciting when the market is just steadily grinding higher because fund managers are doing something that's, Pretty predictable, which is they just keep accumulating. Yes. You know, there's the occasional, um, oh, somebody, you know, started a new position here or somebody liquidated one there. But what makes this more interesting is we had that big market correction in Q4. Yes. Where some babies were getting thrown out with the bathwater. Yeah. And then we come into Q1 where, you know, I didn't think a trade deal would get done. I never did, but I thought the market was rising on hopes that one would. Yeah. And yet you saw investors putting money to work um, despite any of those fears. Right. right. Yeah. Sounded like my audio was going out there a little bit. So I just want to, uh, I'll keep an eye on there. He's shaking his head. Okay. So we're good. (laughs) So, uh, and the other thing is like, we, you know, we love the stock market because we, not just because we love investing, we like learning about companies, yes. you know, across all sectors, especially, you know, exciting things in technology and health, healthcare or, you know, uh, consumer stuff. Um, and there's, there's exciting stories about all these companies. 
but there's exciting stories too in the fund managers, right? And and we can talk about this two different ways. We could just drill down into one fund manager and tell a dozen stories about the economy and the stock market. Right. Or we could pick one stock and go laterally across fund managers and and have a bunch of stories to tell that way too. So it's it's a lot of fun and there's tons to talk yeah. about no matter which way you slice it. Yeah, and in prior episodes, I think we focused more on like the managers and kind of what they were doing because people know these names. We mm-hmm. know Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. We know like David Einhorn, David Tepper. Those are the people I looked up again for this podcast. But this time I feel I also drilled down into what some of the stocks and how many managers were adding or reducing or mm-hmm. getting a new position with some individual stocks. And I feel like that is a result of the sell-off in Q4, plus the trade worries, who was buying some of the stocks that could get impacted, you know, pretty severely in the, in the trade war. And what were they thinking? Although, again, this is all backward looking. So it was through March 31st only that they were, you know, doing these purchases. So, yeah, I feel like I took a little bit different look this time. So this, this Yeah, so is... since you opened w- with Warren Buffett, can yeah. I open with one of my favorite fund managers? Yes, please do. David Tepper of Appaloosa. Okay. Uh, he's got about 12 to 13 billion under management and um uh, what's remarkable is that he's a remarkable remarkable fund manager in terms of his steady performance a- as a growth investor. Um, but that his assets under, under management are so small. So, and that's because he tends to return money to his investors once a year. Okay. So that he, he and because he likes to stay nimble, you know, yeah. he doesn't want a $25 billion fund. Right. The bigger you get, the yeah. more limited your options. So uh, it was interesting to see both in uh, Q3 of last year, he, he sold some things so he could buy the Carolina Panthers for. $2.2 billion. Um, and then he also shifted some money around and had some tax implications. I remember he sold Alibaba, which is something I owned. Um, by Q4, he was he was out of it. And what's interesting is he got back in in Q1. And I thought, well, wait a second. Did is is he you know is he actively trading Alibaba now or you know yeah. has the has the long term story changed? So maybe it's possible that he was spooked by, you know, the correction in Q4 and worries about the trade war or worries about the Chinese economy, which, I mean, there's three things right there, right? Right. Um, but then he changes his mind. He only bought 700,000 shares. Well, that was is, my next question. Yeah. How big of yeah, a position? Yeah, not, not a huge position, but I think he probably thought it over and maybe he concluded, okay, trade war could get worse, but here the stock market's going up. Alibaba's, you know, rallied back to, you know, I think... Uh, over 180. So he probably looked at it like he couldn't stand not being in the name, which is the same way I would feel. Yeah. You know, that I wish I had gotten back in it. Um, yeah, it got all the way up to 195. So, and he probably thought, oh man, this thing's going to get away from me. So he bought some shares. Now, don't you feel like the Chinese stocks are a little risky here, though? But obviously, again, this is first quarter through March 31st. So we're a little bit yeah, we're, again, beyond that now. Again, we're talking about... And then the trade war heated up since then. Yes. Yes, it did. And uh... But they these are the, the pros, so to speak. And so they should have been, you know, factoring in the possibility that it could get worse. Right. And... And Tepper is a guy who owns a lot of big cap tech. So he owns yeah, Facebook. Yeah, I noticed that. He owns Amazon. I think he sold Google. 
Um, Those two are in his top five holdings. Yeah. So, you know, the way he looks at Baba is, you know, if they are something like the Amazon of China, you have to own them, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of what they're going to become with a population of 1.3 billion people and, uh, you know, the the world's largest middle class, essentially, you know, a middle class that, that could be, you could call their middle class over 600 million people. You want to own a key player that connects with consumers. So I, I'm hoping that that's his logic is like, I just need to own it. We'll get through this. It's a long-term hold kind of thing. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. So I, so what I want to, does he have? I want to, I want to stay on Tepper <laughs> because then we get to talk about some other really interesting stories. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to a technology name that practically everybody owns okay. or, well, but we won't but first, let's, say what it is. Yet. Yeah. First we'll, uh, we'll talk about uh, a debacle which was Pacific Gas and Electric in California. Yeah. So the big fires there, um, all of a sudden, it it turned out that lawsuits could be brought against the company. And, you know, if the lawyers had their way, it could conceivably bankrupt the company. So you watched the stock go last fall from $45 to down to 20 kind of stabilized. And then there were those weird rumors that Warren Buffett was going to like back it or something oh, okay. strange. I never heard those. Yeah, that was out just a couple of weeks ago though, and oh. he he actually had to release a statement saying no, I'm not I'm not interested in buying them or putting money in there to backstop them. So yeah, then that went away. Yeah, it's a it's a really <laughs> interesting story. I followed. I was looking at the holders at the time because um, a famous value investor, Seth Klarman of Baupost. He owned a big chunk, and then he added when the stock fell. I just want to get a look at the chart from uh, going back, so I can see actually what 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 it did when it fell from forty five bucks to the to twenty. So this is like a tw- almost twelve percent position of the portfolio in, For, in Tepper's portfolio. Um, this is like a big. This is his third largest position. Yeah. As of the first quarter. You have it that high as Yeah, eleven point eight. Okay. Yeah, I mean he uh so Tepper added I, I just want to recap what happened with this thing in uh last fall because Seth Klarman bought a bunch too. It's like okay. I was thinking, oh man, the, you know, it couldn't wipe him out, but it could but he owned such a huge chunk, it could have wiped out ten to fifteen percent of his portfolio yeah. if the, if it went bankrupt. And so by um by the end of December, the stock plummeted below ten dollars, and that's probably when the news was the worst. Right, that they were talking bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, now it's trading eighteen, so it had a nice Q one recovery. But uh, David Tepper bought sixteen point six million shares to bring his uh, stake to twenty three million shares. So you know, and I have to believe, and I was asking this earlier for your uh, legal perspective as a lawyer, you know, it's not like a hedge fund manager can call up the CEO and say, "Hey, I want your assurance you're not going to go bankrupt right. you know, before I before I invest invest ten million dollars in your company." And they can't do that, right? But somewhere along the way, there must have been word that California wasn't going to let the thing go, right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the question. I mean, because there were some other huge buyers too. There were two, yeah. there were two other funds who bought between uh, twenty and twenty five million shares. Okay, of PCG, you know, probably anywhere from you know, 10 to 20 bucks during the quarter. I looked this up. 32 funds created a new position in it in the yeah. quarter and 29 added to an existing one. 
Yeah, and the and the top the top ones were were very big buys, like twenty five million, yeah. twenty two million. So they were seeing, you know, that the selling was overdone here. Right. But you do have the BK yeah, well, thing lurking out there. I, I gotta believe that that somehow somebody got assurances either from somebody in you know the state of California um, or the company that they were going to hold this thing together, that it was it was essentially a too big to fail, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. what would California do if they had to, you know, they're instantly going to have to help fund a new energy provider, right? So why not just keep the existing one afloat and somehow hold off the bank, uh, hold off the lawsuits from destroying the company? And, and that obviously brings in the insurers too, right? How much are the insurers going to pay for these lawsuits right. uh, if they... You know, if they either settle out of court or, uh, you know, they're found guilty. So the other uh, stock that I teased that uh, is a big David Tepper buy is Micron. Yeah. And what's interesting MU, here, everyone, MU, MU, yeah. <laughs> he added over three million shares to bring his stake to over nineteen million shares, making him the ninth largest holder. Now this is this is interesting for a few reasons. First of all, Micron is sort of at the center of the the trade war yes technology you know because uh, Micron makes the memory chips for just about everything yeah and it and for for a long time their business was so cyclical because memory was just a commodity but now that memory chips are so integral to our smartphones um, and then other smart technology you know um, whether it's data centers um, artificial intelligence all this stuff. Um, autonomous cars, that that's why Micron's business sort of broke out of being too cyclical because they had all these different growth areas. Okay. You know, they were growing not just in a in a PC, but in the data center, in the smartphone, right. in the autonomous car. Um, and so obviously Tepper's a big believer. You know, he- well, It's 22.8% of his whole yes, portfolio now. Yeah, now it is. And what's, <laughs> Don't try this at home, everyone. Right. What's interesting about him, remember I said how small his fund is, relatively speaking, yeah. you know, say say 12 billion. The, the eight largest holders just above him are the mega okay. holder. You know, you're wow. talking, you know, it's Fidelity. So that tells you the size. Yeah, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, Capital World Investors. Um, and they're in it because their ETFs own it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're not just investing. Yeah. So for them, they can have a 25 million share position, yeah. and it's a small part of their portfolio. It's not 22. Right. You know, the, yeah. talk about concentration. And, and Tracy and I have talked about this before because, um, you know, concentration is a way to win. Uh, Warren Buffett doesn't think doesn't really believe in diversification. You know, he wants to be he wants to pick companies. Right. Speaking of him. Um, not only does he have the big position in Apple now, but forty percent of Berkshire Hathaway is in banks and financials. Okay, there's some concentration. Forty percent. Wow. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> talks about that. That's very concentrated. So yes, a lot of these um, big investors do do the real, but it's it's do or die then, basically. Yeah, you better be right. Um, so another one. Let's talk about um, another really concentrated one is Ackman at Pershing. Okay. Because he has his top three holdings are like 50% of his portfolio. And his largest holding now is still Chipotle at 19.7% of his whole portfolio. And then he doubled down on the restaurant industry because he's in restaurant brands, which is QSR is the ticker there. And they own Burger King, 
Tim Hortons and Popeye's now, and that's 17.8%. And then he stays on the consumer side with Lowe's, 13.6% of the portfolio with that one. So that's pretty concentrated, but um, he's he's doing quite well, at least on the CMG. Yeah, I was, ha- Chipotle I was happy to see him get a win there. Yes. You know? um, so according to a 13F um, list that I'm looking at here, which is just from NASDAQ.com, he couldn't be the second largest holder, could he? In Chipotle? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I'm really surprised. I'm not sure. I got to double check this. Um, a lot of people were fleeing it so yeah. for a couple of yeah, years I'm there. Seeing, I'm seeing Vanguard with 2.9 million shares, and I'm seeing Pershing Square with 1.8 million. Okay. And, and BlackRock wow. is behind him at 1.5. It's not that big of a company, so that would not yeah. surprise me. Now, he actually sold 78,000 shares. Okay. So- just it's cashing in a little bit there. He took off less than five yeah. percent okay. for, for profits, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was a. I remember he was a buyer uh, just above four hundred. Yeah, and everybody was like, "What? You're, right? You're going to buy E. coli? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because yeah. It, people were fleeing. Yeah. So this was another example of one of the main. And, and I think we talked about it at the time. It's like we we have the classic example from uh, the '80s when uh, you know was it uh, Tylenol Johnson and Johnson had to, you know. How how do you recover from a disaster where people don't trust your product anymore? Right, it's always possible because you you know you, with you know t- t- first of all time passes and people forget. Right, and then if you can sort of you know get your brand still out there and show the people that you know you've you're consistently doing something right, right. you know then people slowly come back and then you get new generations come back too. Yeah, so it's like. Tylenol still in our house, you know. Right, that was right. just a freak thing. It wasn't really their fault. Right. This with food, I think people probably found more threatening, and yet, look how quickly people forget. You know, yeah. because it could happen anywhere. We eat out all the time, right. so why would we trust you know one restaurant over another? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been a couple of years, hard going, but. It does seem like they're putting that behind them. So that's one I've watched. The lines are still out the door at lunchtime. They are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's switch to another big investor and see what he's in, David Einhorn at Greenlight. Okay. Because his biggest position is an interesting one, I feel. And he's been big in this for a while, but it's General Motors. It's 24% of his whole portfolio now. another huge concentrator. Yes. Um, General Motors. GM that's recovered off of its recent lows, but still still not – you're not getting Chipotle returns there, but you do get the nice dividend – so. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think he's he might be at a loss for what to do. One of his recent investor letters, he had to explain why his performance was so down the past two yeah. years. And um, it's hard looking for the yeah. value names for sure. I know uh, I paid attention a little bit because uh, remember when I uh, shorted Dillard's? Yes. DDS. I tried. To sh- <laughs> I shorted Dillard's uh, a little That's bit right. in Q4, and then I, I tried again in Q1, and just because I thought. Okay, I mean, energy was was sort of slumping. We hadn't had the big oil recovery yet, and Dillard's is Dillard's is in most states, but it has a heavy concentration in Texas, Oklahoma. Um, so I, th- you know, it it's its fortunes correlate to the energy market, so to speak. Um, but I just saw that uh, you know their sales were declining, profits were declining, and the trend wasn't reversing. So I thought well, you, can, you can short this at you know in the seventies. 
Um, he was actually a buyer in okay. Q4. Of, oh. And I thought, okay, here the value investor likes yeah. Dillard's. Uh, he got out of it. Okay. He got out of so he retails hard. Yeah. Other than the Lowe's and the Home Depots. He finally <laughs> he finally saw what I saw. <laughs> yes. Yes. Apparel. Apparel is very difficult. Um, let's take a look at a couple of other just stocks in general mm-hmm. since we're talking about them. So we talked a little bit about Alibaba, but JD.com is in like a similar situation. Um, trade issues, consumer issue in China, but 90 funds added new positions to it in the quarter. So wow. that's kind of interesting. But a lot of the Chinese stocks were beaten down in the it fourth quarter. It was really quarter. cheap, yeah. Yeah. So people saw value in that one, including um, a name many people will probably remember, Dr. Michael Burry. He was in the big short. He was featured in that because he got it right about the mortgage-backed securities. And so he made a killing in that. He does still run his own fund, but it kind of went dormant there for a while, but now it's apparently back and it's called Scion Asset Management. So he bought JD.com in the quarter and it's now his biggest position, 9.2%. He also bought Altababa, Altaba, Altaba, I guess that's how you pronounce it. A-A-B-A is the ticker, and they own 15% of Alibaba. Right. That was like the Yahoo. Yahoo yes. spun that off. Yes. <clears throat> and it's um, that's his second largest position now in the portfolio. So he's going in on a little bit of the China thing there. I'm not sure why he bought that one versus just not buying Alibaba, but they are um, the second largest outside investor in Alibaba. I think SoftBank has the biggest position. I was trying to think of who played Michael Burry in The Big Short. That was um, Christian Bale, right? Yes. Yeah, he played. (laughs) Yes, for those of you wondering. Right. Isn't that the character he played? Because uh, uh, Asperger's maybe? Did Michael Burry have Asperger's? I don't know. Or some, some spectrum. I don't know. I think so. Where obviously he was very good at concentrating on numbers and not so social. Yes. (laughs) But loved to listen to to death metal. He used to write, yeah, he used to write like a, he used to go in the chat rooms and talk about value stocks, which is how he got started as an investor. So don't think you can, you know, you have to have some kind of background. He is an actual medical doctor. (laughs) So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, but he still considers himself to be a value investor. So that's interesting that he's going into some of these Chinese names here. It is. Yeah. So that um, people taking some, some chances there with the trade war going on. I looked at Baidu Um, again, this was before it took another leg down on its recent earnings that these people would, you know, these managers would have been buying or selling in Baidu. But first quarter was still not that great for the stock. It was down 44% for the year going into its earnings report, and then it's tanked further. But 21 new managers added it in the quarter. Um, 31 added to, or 38 added to their position. 14 did close it out, and then 32 reduced on Baidu. So... That's also one to watch. And then I looked at um, this interesting company that I just did for a bear of the day today, stamps.com. And they do, they're not just stamps. I always get this tweeted at me like, who cares about stamps? No wonder they're <laughs> it's declining. Like, no, that's not well, totally what is it what besides it is. postage? Well, it's online postage though. So think about like all the small, they make the software for it. So think about if you're a small business. You're not like right. running off to my my dad used to have to go to the post office like every day to mail stuff back in the day in like the 80s. And now <sighs> you just sit in front of your computer, obviously, for the last 20 years, you print it off. But like tons of businesses have 
access to the I'm sorry I'm laughing because this is a sore subject for me. As you, as you noticed on Twitter, I tried to send a package. Yes, to, I do remember the US that. Postal yes, Service. and they sent it to the wrong city. <laughs> yeah. That's not good. They, they, it, was, it went to Milwaukee first, and then it was supposed to go to Plymouth, Massachusetts. And they just sent it to Plymouth, Wisconsin. Yeah, that's so <laughs> and weird. I thought, I thought, aren't we in the digital age? Yes, like, isn't it's the supposed zip code? To scan it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, like, even the writing doesn't matter. It only scans yeah. the zip code. I was told it was human error. <laughs> wow. So weird. Yeah. Um, so hopefully the software that stamps.com makes makes it a little bit clearer for the things that people are shipping through them. But, you know, business was kind of zooming along. The shares, like, soared in 2018. And so did earnings. I mean, it was like not a super expensive stock by the P.E. ratio even because the earnings were sticking up there. And then in February, they basically came out on their earnings call and said, well, we've gotten rid of our exclusive contract with the U.S. Postal Service now, which was a huge chunk of their business. So that went away, but they wanted to be able to negotiate with the Amazon's FedEx UPS on the side instead. That's why they're getting rid of the exclusive. So, but this was going to take some time to get, you know, those clients on board versus just the U.S. Postal Service and all of this was going on. And so they, in February, they cut their earnings estimate for the year dramatically because they were losing the exclusivity. Well, then we get to this quarter and whoops, other things are happening that we didn't foresee, including like Amazon FedEx and UPS being resellers for the U.S. Postal Service. And they didn't know that or that's going to impact their negotiations Mm -hmm. with these other players now. So they cut again. So, but shares plunged after the first cut, like literally like 50%. And so did hedge fund managers go in there to buy thinking like, Oh, the worst is over now. They've already made this announcement. I'll take a look. Did you take a look already? Yes. I I just want to say before you tell me who bought, I'm going to tell you who sold short. Okay. And that was, um, our own Jeremy running, running counter strike here. Okay. Uh, for his, for his active trading portfolio into this, into the next earnings. Yes. Okay. So, so he, wow, so after, after it fell from 200 to 100, yeah. whatever he saw in the charts and, and probably said fundamentally like, okay, losing the post office. Cause that's what you said. The first drop yes. was about, right? Yes. Lost the post office contract. Right. He's, I mean, estimates were coming down. So yes. it was a Zach's number five rank here because yes. all the analysts had to just like slash. slash. Yeah. yeah. And so Jeremy just saw it as a short opportunity, uh, you know, around a hundred. And so he made out, he went into this earnings report, you know, holding on, not looking for the recovery, but taking his chances and it, and it worked out. So he had like a, probably a, God, oh, you know, over a 50% winner there. Wow. Yeah. Good for him for seeing what's going on on the chart, but it's plunged another, I, I think something like 50% after this recent earnings now. So yeah, that, that, that's where he made his money on oh, this one. On this one, yeah, okay. because yeah, he got short after, after the, the first, first debacle. One. That's right. That's right. Um, so yeah, that was smart. Yeah, but not everybody was thinking that way. They did think that the worst was maybe priced in there mm-hmm. because it was a severe drop off after that first announcement. All right, so who was buying? Well, it was. It's not any big names that you would know, but twenty did create new positions in the quarter in it after that plunge down, and then seventeen added to the existing ones. Okay. So all of those basically got caught in now the second warning. Yeah, they should have listened to Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so it was, it's been pretty brutal, but you can see what may happen in this quarter. We don't know. We won't know for a couple of months still what they're all doing now that it's plunged again. If they're going to add double down, triple down, I guess, on it again and get in there because the estimates are, you know, severely being slashed again because they did lower. And this is kind of stunning to see with this economy going on, but earnings are expected to decline 67% now year over year, just based on this one kind of quite big event for this company. But wow. So that's pretty brutal. But um, another little tidbit from Whale Wisdom, where you can go and find out a lot about what's going on with yeah. all of these filings. I use it all the time because yeah. they have an API just like, you know, NASDAQ or whatever yes. that just they, they take, grab all the data. Yeah, the filings just go right into the yeah. database. Yeah, and it's free, at least the basic version is mm-hmm. free, so you can go check it out on Whale Wisdom. But they put out a little tidbit saying that Square was the number 1 yeah. for the quarter on their heat map and that tracks the top 150 hedge funds and their moves and everything. And um, 28 funds added Square, which is ticker SQ, in the quarter, and then only nine closed out. So 28 new positions in it. And that's probably because um, the stock was down big in Q4, Mm -hmm. like a lot of the more volatile names were. And now it's up big in Q1, but a lot of the managers, the growth ones, saw real value in getting in there after over 40%. I bought it. Near 50 Decline. bucks in Q4. Yeah. And we made some money on it. And then I just thought, oh, you know, we're, we, this thing's going to bust out. It's going to bust above $78. We're off to the races. And no. Because <laughs> uh, there's, you know, there's increasing competition. Did you see Definitely. Uh, T-Mobile rolled out GoPoint, which is their, oh. which is their, they want to go head to head against Square for for small business. Okay. Do they know, have a chance? Aren't um, they behind? I mean, I mean they're yeah, kind of like yeah. a couple years delayed. Yeah, I was they? thinking about like. You know, the way things have to catch fire with, with consumers and small business, it may not. It, c- it could be a total flop because right. people, f- they they love the square. They love the idea. And then once they're in, Square's, right, you're not building, gonna switch. squares build out this whole ecosystem. Yeah. You know what Square's doing now? They're, um, they're letting you set up your own e-commerce page. Oh. So instead of letting, you know, instead of going to Shopify or Amazon, if you're already a Square customer, you're going to just – they're letting you build it for free. Okay. So right now. so uh, Is know. T-Mobile is, is the reason because, like, I see Square a lot when I'm in, like, a cab. They'll have it on mm-hmm. their phone, and then you can pay by credit card just, like, you know, swiping it on their phone with that little thing attached mm-hmm. to it. Is that why T-Mobile thinks they're going to be able to – and any small business that would just have a phone capabilities of taking well, the credit card. They're also trying to be a little bit disruptive in the sense that um, they want people to have their money instantly. They want okay. small businesses like you transact the sale, we're going to give you your money right away almost. That, that's okay. what they're saying. Like no, you don't, you don't have to wait for your money. So that's their pitch right now. We'll see if it works. Yeah. Um, but I own a company that is the backend technology for that, um, Total System Services. Okay. They're sort of the behind What's the that ticker? TSS. They're sort of the, the, they, you know. Total System, that makes sense. Yeah, they do. You know, <laughs> they'll they'll be like the credit card backend for somebody. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the sort of the white label, yes. whatever, the technology. They're behind the scenes. Um, they've been around for a long time. You know, I want to uh, go back to Micron for a second because you're you're talking about like when you talk about stamps.com, all these funds buying. The 
It, oh, and you mentioned Square being the number one. Yeah. Did you say it was the number one bought? It was the number one on their heat map. Yeah. Yeah. I would have guessed Micron because when I look at the top buyers in Micron, I am just amazed. Um, like over 50 million shares bought by these big funds like uh, Capital Research, which is a huge fund in California. It's like there's these two funds, Capital Research Global Investors and Capital World Investors. Together, they manage like $750 billion. Um, they together these two funds bought like let's see Capital World but oh my gosh did they really buy that much yeah seventeen like seventeen point nine million and four point six million together and then Wellington bought uh, eight point six million Fidelity bought six point eight it's almost like they look at Micron as it's so cheap right you know it trades at you know it was trading at four times earnings right because. It that, was. That's what a chip stock can do. Yeah. When when the cycle is right. maybe headed down. Yeah. And you probably called it a value trap yourself. It is. <laughs> it is. It's still one. So sorry. So they're piling in. And and then <laughs> We're I look talk about it soon. And then I look at the chart and it's like, okay, yeah, it was down to 30 bucks in late December. You know, you could have still bought it at 32 in early January. And it barely gets up to 45. Yes. And now it's now back it's down to 35. Right. Yeah, I was going to say. Did did these funds think, oh my gosh, we're buying another great low in Micron? Yeah. And, and now they thought they were buying the bottom. Yeah. And now it's already back. I mean, most of their positions have to be nearly underwater that they bought in Q1. Yeah. Even possibly. though they were adding. Yeah. Yeah. This is the danger so the, with the semis, yeah, I feel. The danger with, you know, we sometimes like we call the hedge funds the smart money. Yeah. Right. Because they have more research. Right. More people, more tools. And but they're not always the smartest. Right. Right. Um, well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how that yeah. turns out. For yeah, they them. can hold on a lot longer than we can. Yeah. Although I did notice it's not their uh, money after all. Right. <laughs> but I did notice some stats from the first quarter and some prior quarters in general about hedge funds and the inflows and outflows. Mm -hmm. So hedge funds. Uh, lost basically 88 billion in assets in 2018. So and for the four, uh, all four of those quarters, money flowed out of hedge funds, active management. And in the first quarter, outflows were again 17.8 billion. So it's still people, you know, I don't know, a little bit dubious about how the active managers are performing here. A lot of them are struggling still. Certainly on the value side, but even like there's been some struggles in the commodities sectors, that's been real difficult. And then I saw this little interesting tidbit that Sweden's oldest hedge fund was closing. It's closing this year and it's been in business for 21 years. It's called Nectar, N-E-K-T-A-R. Oh, interesting. Only had a billion under management, though, by the time it closed down. But it trades in interest rate and foreign exchange markets. And they said the tough conditions have just gotten too difficult and they it's just too tough. They're, they're shutting down. But since inception in 1998, so these guys have been through a lot of different market conditions, they've averaged 9.1%. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty impressive, I thought. And that's just in interest rates and currencies? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Sweden's losing its oldest fund. I guess that's a pretty good run for a hedge fund, 21 years. Right. And uh, so should we close the, the, the show saying uh, we're pretty sure the bull market's not over and to keep buying stocks? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> yeah, I don't think the bull market is over at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. We've gotten the boost off of those, you know, to the December sell-off. 
turns out for now that that maybe was the buying opportunity to get some of your favorite stocks like Square a lot cheaper. But now we're going to hit the summer doldrums here and we have the trade issues going on. So I don't know. What do you think we see in the next couple months here? Yeah, well, you proposed we debate soon uh, for our subscribers here whether you want to be invested in Chinese stocks. And, yeah. and to me, that that sort of answers the question also about the bull, mar- bull market and the global economy. Right. If, if you... If you're investing in Chinese stocks, you're probably pretty you're optimistic. Very bullish. Yeah. 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 You know, so uh, are you? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. I'm am a, I? Everyone I, should know the answer to this question. No. <laughs> N-O. So that's, Tracy and I are going to have that debate for uh, Zach's uh, Ultimate subscribers uh, next month. You know, uh, last point. Uh, we mentioned a fund that closed. Uh, a famous manager, Steve Mandel of Lone Pine Capital. Yes. So... I'm not sure what he's up to now, but I just Googled and I found a story about him from May 18th that this is the title of. This is on geekwire.com. Secretive investment firm Lone Pine Capital is quietly minting tech unicorns in Seattle. So he may have closed his hedge fund. He went like private. Yeah, he's, he's... he wants. He's minting tech unicorns in Seattle, apparently. So, okay. Um, Are there still some? Can you still? I can guess. you still mint one? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's always good. It's good. We you know venture capital is needed. So why not these days? Okay. Well, we've covered a ton on this episode, and I'm going to run down a whole bunch of the tickers. Give people a chance to go check these out on their own if they want to kind of follow along with what some of these, you know, famous, more famous uh, active investors and managers are doing. So we had Alibaba, B-A-B-A, Micron is M-U, Stamps.com is S-T-M-P, J-D.com is J-D, um, Pacific Gas is PCG, right? right. For that one, I yep, always forget yep. the. And these aren't recommendations. We're just now we're just, just putting out yeah. the tickers from the episode, everybody. So you can go look at them. Um, Baidu is B I D U. Square is S Q. General Motors is G M. We had Chipotle, C M G. Uh, restaurant brands Q S R. That's one of the weird ones. What else? Um, Amazon, A-M-Z-N, because Buffett was buying that one. You probably mentioned Alibaba, right? Yes, we got the bobs in there. So that's pretty much most of them. If we missed any, sorry, but um, you probably know what they are anyways. And as always, we will keep track of what's going on with all these managers because it is going to get, well, it's already interesting, but it's going to stay interesting probably for the rest of this year. And it'll be intriguing to see what they change in their holdings as we go forward over the summer. I know I'm going to be tuning in. So we'll be doing another one of these probably later in the year to check in again. So you don't want to miss a single episode of The Market Edge here. You can subscribe and get it every week. Uh, You can get us on Apple Podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, of course, and we're now on Spotify. So a lot of places you can get us, but be sure to subscribe. And I'll be back again next week with some more stocks. 
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.